Welcome back to another episode of Titans of Now. Titans is a showcase of ServiceNow personalities that have punched above their weight and elevated the ServiceNow community. Titans of Now is brought to you by me, Robert the Duke Fedoric. If you want to see what I'm up to, check out my website, theduke.digital. Here you'll find all my CJ and the Duke episodes, links to my YouTube content, and my upcoming course, Hired, the definitive guide to profiles that win ServiceNow jobs. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Titans of Service Now. It is so good to have you here. Today we have one of the most titanic titans thus far. He's been with ServiceNow since uh, 2011 and has progressed from VP of Solution Consulting and now sits in the hallowed seat of Chief Innovation Officer. It is my deep honor to welcome to the Titans Pantheon, Dave, the right view, right. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey Rob, thanks for uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Really looking forward to it. The this. opportunity is mine, man. I'm hoping I don't screw this up, but <laughs> it's so good to have you here, man. The protocol is we always start at the start. So if you could, some people may have heard the story, but if you could just briefly tell us how it is you arrived at ServiceNow. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting story. It goes kind of way back before ServiceNow even started. In the mid '90s, I used to work for Peregrine Systems. And, and for people who don't know the history of Peregrine Systems, Fred Luddy, who founded ServiceNow, was the, the CCO of Peregrine Systems for a long time. So I, uh, I worked as a, uh, an architect over in Peregrine Systems, and I got to know Fred. I used to travel to San Diego pretty often, so I, I got to meet him, and we used to talk about different things, what he was doing with the code, where the product was going, where the, the company was going. And then it kind of all went a bit wrong from a peregrine perspective and it it kind of spiraled into into chapter 11 and uh recovered from chapter 11 but i i kind of left during that recovery pro uh, process went to uh went to mercury interactive stayed there for a few years and then ended up going to uh, vmware so i ended up being uh, head of technology for europe for six years mm -hmm. for um for vmware and during that time what was happening was Fred had obviously started ServiceNow and ServiceNow was, was going from strength to strength. But um, maybe maybe I made the mistake a lot of customers made initially that I looked at the product and thought, well, it's an ITSM solution, it's nice, but the hell, I'm, I'm virtualizing stuff. I'm like you know, riding into the cloud and it's all amazing and look at all this new technology. And then I got a, a phone call from a guy called Kevin Somalsey. And Kevin used to... Kevin used to be my boss when I was at Peregrine Systems and at Mercury. And he said, hey, you know, I'm at ServiceNow. Would you like to come and join and run the solution consulting team? And I've been watching what the company was doing, but I was like, yeah, not really. You know, not, <laughs> not that much. It, it seems to be seems to be ITIL and I've done nothing wrong. So there's no reason to go back to the world of ITIL. And he said, well, he said, have a chat with my boss. And his boss at the time was Dave Schneider. So uh, I was over in America and Dave said, why don't you come to uh, San Diego and just like meet a few people and chat it through. So at the time I met, uh, I met Frank Slootman and Mike Scapelli and all the team still wasn't really that sure about it. And then was speaking to Frank actually. And Frank said, well, you know, it's more of a platform play. And I was like, Oh, what's he mean by a platform play? So chatting to different people. Uh, and in the end, Fred said, well, not really supposed to be an ITSM solution. It's supposed to be a platform to do any type of work, but the only the only way I could get people to understand it was to build this ITSM solution. And when he said that, and when we started to talk about all these different 
areas that are just service management when you think about it. That was when it kind of clicked for me. And I thought, well, this, this hasn't even got a total addressable market because this could manage any type of service. So if the messaging's right, if the technology's right, yeah, this, this could be really big. So I, I left VMware at that point and, uh, yeah, joined in 2011. So that was my, that was my journey into the company. And then the different jobs that we, we went through after that were just kind of progressions of it. But I was, I was kind of core solution consulting. That was, that was my background. I'd run pre-sales at companies for well 20 years, maybe. So that was, that was what I came to do originally. And then it just moved on and on to different positions and different positions. And the, the you went from that to the chief strategy officer. Yeah. So that was uh that was just a conversation with Frank one day where, where I've been doing more and more meetings where I, I was kind of the, I was kind of the glue that, that connected corporate to customer maybe. So I, I'd kind of see what was happening on the solution consulting side. I had a background around all the technology and, and kind of opinions on, on what we should do. And, and one day, I'd started this series where I was, I was kind of catching up with Frank every every other Friday, and uh, yeah, we were just we were, it was funny. We were sitting having a we were having lunch. I remember we were having a chicken sandwich. I had a chicken sandwich, and he said uh, he said there's only uh, there's only really two ways you'll progress your career any more than you are. Frank was always Frank was always really blunt. So so he kind of said you're at the top of your game. You know you're at the at the time the second biggest SaaS company in the world. You're running solution consulting. There isn't there isn't a higher job in the solution consulting world. So he said, the only way you'll ever progress is if you do something in uh, sales or if you do something on the product side. And he started talking about product management. And I was like, ah, oh, I've, I've had a good life. I've been through, a, been through a lot of different companies that have all IPO'd successfully. So, so why not have a career change? Because he's going to say, why don't you move into product management? And then he said, so I've spoke to the board and we'd like to make you chief strategy officer. And it really was one of those Chicken sandwich right by the mouth. About to ice. <laughs> <laughs> Should I drop the sandwich? So I was, yeah. I was like, I'll go for that, Frank. That, that works for me. Oh, man. You know you're in the good promotions when they say, I talked to the board about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's when it goes well. And then it went through, a, went through an evolution. So, so the weird thing was, like, running strategy at the time was very much looking at technology and looking at, at what new technologies were out there and and whereabouts we could go from a product perspective. And then when, when Frank left, John Donahoe arrived, and, uh, and I was sitting having breakfast with John on his, uh, his first or second day. We were in San Francisco. And that, again, was a funny conversation. We sat there, and he said, uh, he said so, you know, what, what do you do? And I described what I did, and it was all very product-focused. And, uh, and John said, oh, he said hey, so you're not really what I call a chief strategy officer. And, I, and you know, I, I was reacting and saying, oh, well, really? Yeah, that's interesting. And obviously in the back of my mind, I'm just going, ah, <laughs> he doesn't think I'm a chief strategy officer. But um, strategy to John was different. So strategy to John was everything about the company. It was what market you go into. It was what your channel strategy would be. It was what your price model would look like. Mm -hmm. And everything he was reeling off, I was like, yeah, this this isn't my thing. I'm, I'm product and new technology. So he said at that point, well, we still need someone looking at new tech. So I'd like you to focus on being the chief innovation officer. And that's been the way it's been for the last four years. Like what does the everyday look like for a chief innovation officer? Cause I, I, I split across all these different areas. So I have, 
I have the evangelists, which are the people you tend to see on stage at big events. Uh, some of the people that you'll see doing like IDC calls or uh, kind of analyst press calls. So I have the analysts. I have advocacy, which is the people that uh, work with customers around the reference cases we produce. They work with them around videos, around all the customers you see on stage acknowledge that they're kind of all coordinated through that. And then I have the exec briefing team as well, which organizes all the exec briefings and the content that goes into them. So, so it's kind of a, a, a real mix, but the, uh, what's the easiest way to do it? It's just probably pull up a, let me just pull up a calendar week and then I can, I can kind of go through it and pull out some themes. Okay. So, so we are two weeks ago. So if I look at a week for me, it starts off with, in this case, there was some uh, just internal meetings with, so I met with marketing operations to understand what was happening on the positioning. I met with strategic tech alliances because we were getting ready for this Solonis announcements. And I, I wanted to understand that a bit more. Uh, I met with Phil who runs mergers and acquisitions. And we looked at what the state of the market was around, around companies we could potentially look at or companies that we were just seeing emerging. Uh, we did press briefings for the Solonis stuff. I, we're redesigning what we do with the exec briefing. So I caught up with the people who run all the physical experience side of that. Uh, looked at the reference customers that we were going to use for the earnings call. And then uh, next day we were hosting a special interest group. So I was presenting a special interest group to the federal government. A uh, few people I mentor. So I was doing some mentoring sessions in the afternoon. Recorded another video for a customer who wanted to do a conference and they just wanted a, a rolling video around technology. And then and then I went to San Francisco. So I had that's okay. So that's <laughs> that used to be a normal week. Now it's an unusual week. I, I met a customer. I went to meet with Shell. So I physically met a customer, which is the first time I physically met a customer in uh, in 18 months. And then I came back from that. Next day met with the now X team. So talked about some of the the future technologies we're doing and then recorded a video with IDC. So, so it's interesting now, a lot of the things are, are video recordings or video sessions where, when it used to all be personal meetings. So I used to, I used to probably travel a hundred days a year. So, so if you think a working, a working years, 212 days, I think is the way consulting views it. So yeah, I, I used to travel for half of it. And now I think I've done three flights in 18 months. So I, you know, I thank you for doing that. I don't think a lot like those of us on the front lines just see the, you know, those C positions. It's like, but what is it like? Like, what, what does he actually do? What do they actually do? Right. So um, I've been just waiting to ask that question for years. So appreciate the, <laughs> the answer on that. I have another kind of C position mechanical question. What comes first? Like, is it is it CJ's team that does some product information innovation and, and and comes to you, or is it you see stuff on the horizon and you're taking that to CJ's team? Are you even allowed to say? Yeah, yeah, I, I can say. So, so I think that's. Uh, I mean, that's one of the interesting assumptions people have. People people look at a title and assume that title defines what your job is. So innovation, I don't think belongs with a, it doesn't belong with a person. I'm not, I'm not even sure it belongs with a team. I think if you're really going to innovate and you're going to do it successfully, that that's like something that's within the company DNA. So, so it can kind of go in any direction. So all the, all the innovation that's created, everything that goes out to market, everything that's out there that you can download, CJ and his team have created. I mean, I, I've got, I've got no capability to create any product. 
CJ, CJ creates all that. And as the, as the companies got bigger and bigger, obviously you have people who are domain experts in their area. So they, they understand what needs to happen at that level. You've got, uh, Carl Vanderpool's team running now X that are looking at, well, what, what could we build that's completely new technology out there? That's where you see some of the stuff around process optimization, uh, in the San Diego release, you'll see some of the stuff around robotic process automation. He did the connected ops stuff. Uh, he's now looking at things around supply chain. So, so some of it's driven the, my, my role from a, an innovation perspective, I suppose, is it's an influence role. So I'll speak to different people, whether it's Pat Casey on the engineering side, whether it, whether it is Carl running now X, whether it's some of the business unit leaders, and I'll, I'll just try and talk about things that I'm hearing customers talk about, or talk about things that are, are actual evolutions in the marketplace from technology and try and try and persuade people that, that it's something we need to look at. It can be a long process. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I might see something and think, wow, this is, this is going to be really interesting. And not everyone else buys into the concept. We, we had this, I mean, this happened a, a long time ago with uh, things like machine learning. I was, I was really passionate around machine learning. You know, I thought artificial intelligence was, was going to fundamentally change the way we did everything to the same level that search changed the way we did everything. But there was a lot of people at the company who aren't at the company anymore who were, were kind of convinced, well, it's just a buzzword. Are you just jumping on a buzzword bandwagon there? Is it really going to be a big thing? And, and sometimes you, you hit those barriers where people just think it's a trend and it's not really going to be a big thing. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes you look at something and you're like, yep, yeah, this is going to be the next big thing. And, and it doesn't happen. So it's, it's right to have that sense of caution. I, I said, when, um, when Frank was CEO, I remember saying to him, this is so difficult. You know, I've got to convince every other member of the exec team that we need to do something before we do it. It'd be so much easier if I could just say we do this and we did it. Uh, and Frank said, no, he said, he said, your job is to pass through the nine gates, <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but then say, okay, we can do it. He said, your job is not to bypass those gates. So, um, so that was a good philosophy and it's, it's worked okay for me. I, I love these inside scoops on Frank, by the way, that's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I, I, I could write a book on Frank, but I don't think, I don't think I'll be allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> well, your job is to pass the nine gates. <laughs> right. That's right. Get that done. Be, yeah. that, that will be one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So kind of on that same topic, we talk about the innovations you you pursue and the things that tend to be big concepts, but maybe the precise use case isn't there yet. So, uh, But what about in the opposite direction? Has there been anything that has surprised you how well it took off? So I suppose there's, I mean, there's, there's the short-term stuff that, that I never would have expected. So I never, and, and this is kind of driven by market needs, I suppose. I never thought we'd write a safe workplace app and, and I never thought we'd do vaccine administration management. So there's, there's just areas that I never thought we'd go into because I, I just never thought we'd need them. You know, I, I never thought that would be a, a fundamental shift in what we needed to do. But the, uh, the real thing, I suppose, that, that always surprised me, and this goes right to the core of the company, I don't even know how I say this without going through the whole story of service now. So the interesting, the interesting thing to me is for years, I've been able to go to any IT shop and say, you know, what do you do every day? 
and and there will be like graphs and histograms and charts that went back for years that showed exactly what they did how much percentage time they spent on things how it was better than it was last year how it was cheaper than it was last year and i could go anywhere else in the company and say oh you know what what do you do every day and it was like ah, oh, you know i've got a feel for it here's some, it's all tribal knowledge well well we do some of this and we do some of that and you'd say well is it, is it better than last year is it worse than last year where do you want it to get to and, and no one really had that measurement so so i think what's been interesting and what's probably changed the company for the most has been this realization by organizations that that every part of the company does provide a service but almost no one in the past had a way of tracking the effectiveness of that service so when we started to go into these different workflows i think that's what really if you wanted to know what changed the share price the most it was that it was that realization that I, IT had actually spent 20 years trying to get things right, trying to trying to understand the metrics of how it performed, trying to improve how it performed. And you don't have to take everything that IT does, but just that concept of having a piece of work that you're going to assign to someone to do, that you're going to track, that fundamentally changed the way a lot of people thought about work. And I think that that vision of going down these different routes with different workflows probably probably shifted the company the most. Although ironically, although, although I'm saying it's a shift, all it was really doing was bringing Fred's vision to life because that's what he always wanted the platform to be anyway. Uh, it was like the day one thing, the second I put my hands on it and like it had, took, it had taken us six months to replace Magic Total Service Desk with HP Service Desk. And when we got ServiceNow, I mean, we literally deployed it in, in like four or five weeks, six weeks at a stretch. But like right on the tail of that, we were so desperate to find something else to do. So we didn't look like, you know, the project plan said six months, just like, right. <laughs> just like <laughs> HP, like we don't want to look like fools here. So let's throw something in there. Let's increase the scope and get the time right. Cause this money was allotted. And so they basically, they had this manager who was in charge of figuring out, we called it iMac install move ad change okay yeah, yeah yeah. and but he was like a super analytical dude and so he just disappeared for a couple months kind of while we were setting up service now and he came out the other side of that with this giant excel sheet about here's everything everybody every office in the entire world how they onboard a full-time employee and a freelancer and this and that <laughs> right down to like how does he get how do these people get the building cards do they work at a building or not what software do they need and when and is that handled globally or locally and just more excel sheets than you can imagine one process right. ever holding and i'm like let's try let's try putting that in an order guide and it was it was like the ground shifted like violently underneath us because all of a sudden we're talking to these teams they're like how do you handle this globally well we wait for the emails come in sometimes we have to get them translated because right. just the whole operation was over email and you know you get a freelancer you're trying to get them in you hire them on a tuesday they're coming in next tuesday and they're gone right. on thursday right everybody else is treating that like a full-time employee and is going through the same process. So there'll be like two months after we needed the freelancer, they're all like done and gone. And the, <laughs> the transaction happened underneath the, but like when I say that the ground shifted violently, it was like all of a sudden the whole organization is like, how come you guys do this so well? 
Right. And IT, poor IT at the time, this is like 13 years ago. We're like, what do you mean, master? What do you mean we do things well? <laughs> you know, they're expecting the whip. <laughs> and they got <laughs> praise. Anyways, short tangent, but I, I totally hear you on the the, the, the non-IT elements of, of work suddenly understanding the value of work visibility and workflow and work automation and integration and all those good things. It's miraculous. It's, you know, I've never been able, I've never seen or heard of another tool that allows us to make that big a difference. It was, it was, it was always so funny because you could go, people would always say to me, well, how do you go and speak to all these different departments when you don't know what they do? But, but just that, what you were saying then that breakdown, I, I could go and sit with human resources and say, well, what you do every day, and they describe everything they do. And I'd just be sitting in my mind going, well, there's your categories. And it's like, okay, who who does the work for this job? And they tell me who did it. And I'm like, oh, well, there's your assignment groups. How how quick do you have to do it? And people had started to find an SLAs. And really, really quickly in the space of like an hour, yeah. you could build service map of of what it is they actually do yeah i mean if anybody asked me that question i would be like i ask them it's you know like i don't come with my own ideas i ask them what outcomes they're trying to achieve uh-huh. right i mean and for for the people that are still kind of existing in email like the achievement is getting visibility around it and that'll be good for a couple months and then then we'll start figuring out like is this exactly what you expect that process to take Right. You know, and why do we, why do we even have processes at all? It's to, you know, it's to change an outcome. Yeah. All right. Uh, One question that my, my audience loves is, could you tell me about a time at service now where you didn't think you were going to make it, where your back was against the wall and you just thought the world's against me. How am I going to pull this off? So, um, it was really, it was really early on. It was, um, it must have been 2013 because it was that's right it was the day after i moved to america so it was it was february the 3rd 2013 and um and what happened at that point was i had um i had all the solution consultants in the world which sounds really grandiose but there's like 60 of them at the time <laughs> there's there's like well over a thousand of them now but um i was trying to get it from 60 to around 200 well well i think when i joined it was 40 try and get it from 40 to 200 so that was my that was my task off Dave Schneider. And I arrived on February the 3rd. And um, I got a, I got an email from the guy who ran all the solution consultants in the UK, uh, in, in Amir, actually. And he'd been there for five or six years already. What, what I didn't realize was the 3rd of February was vesting day. So this was the, the first day that everyone who'd been here for multiple years could sell stock after the IPO. So, and they could sell all their stock because it it invested for four years. So the guy who ran uh, Europe phoned me up and he said, Hey, you know, I know you're in America and I probably should have said last week when you're in Europe, but, um, but I'm, I'm going to sell all my stock and I'm going to resign. I was like, Oh no. So now, so now I've got no one running Europe and I'm remote and I'm in America. So what am I going to do? So, so that's going to be a challenge. I went in the office to, to think about what I was going to do. And then the, the guy around America from a solution consultant come in and said, uh, yeah, he said, uh, Dave, I'm, I'm uh, going to sell my stock and I'm going to resign. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so now, now 60% of the leadership is, is vested out and left and, and everyone else sits as a direct report into me. 
And, and at that point, I suppose at that point, I was a little bit frustrated because I was like, how can, how can people not see the vision of where the company can go, you know, to, to actually exit at this point is, is, is not the wisest move. But, um, but also I, I understood, you know, if people put in all those years in a startup, they, they want to get something back from it. But yeah, all of a sudden I went from a, a highly structured management team to having 60 direct reports that all came through to me that I knew I then had to build a management structure around and, and try and build something out that was sustainable. And, and I thought since my main task was to grow the team, I thought this is, this is going to be impossible. I'm going to fail this year because I'm going to be so focused on building a management team. I'm not going to have time to recruit all the heads that I need. But luckily there was a, a load of people that, that, that stepped up that were already in the company that, that had management experience that helped out. And over that, that next six months, we built out a, a management team to, to stabilize it. But yeah, that, that first day in America when I had all the buzz of being in America was kind of under, undercut a little bit when most of the management team resigned on the same day. And it was interesting. That was, so that was my, again, being English and not, not being in America, not being American at the time or, or understanding the way it worked in America. The, the guy who ran the US came to me and he said, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resign. And I was like, wow, well, it's okay. So, so you know, what's your notice period? And, and when, do you, when do you plan on leaving? And I didn't understand Californian employment laws. So he just rolled his sleeve up and looked at his watch. And he went, in about two hours. <laughs> I was like, you can't do that. You can't do it. Phone up HR. They said, yeah, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a, an interesting insight into right to work employment law and also a uh, an interesting insight into how you deal with employees when they've been there right from the start. How do you keep that motivation going to keep them wanting to be there? It's funny you mentioned that. I just learned that lesson the hard way this week as well. I, on occasion, I help organizations find ServiceNow talent. And um, I have this resource. She's, a, she's actually got a doctorate degree in cybersecurity. She's awesome. And this company was curious about her. And they, they asked me, they're like, well, what's her notice period? I'm like, her, her what? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, she has to give her employer so much, so much notice before she can leave. How many months? I'm like, months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So that was an eye-opener. Yeah. Different in different countries. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Everyone's got their own rules. Yeah. I feel blessed for where I am. Um <laughs> All right, here's, a, here's another question in the same kind of vein, but because you weren't always at ServiceNow and uh, it's, you've done a lot of interesting things. I got from another podcast that you, you didn't take the college route either, right? You kind of took the School of Hard Knocks route. Um, and I'm wondering if there is any kind of profound life or work experience that has been a foundation of your work at ServiceNow. Wow, that's a tough one. Um something that gave you an unfair advantage maybe, or. So, so, so I think the, um, I, I was funny. I was doing a, a, a video session the other week with, uh, with, a, a a woman from a woman who looked after Facebook messenger. And we were, we were doing this presentation on, can you, can you go from school all the way to like a C-suite position with no qualification? Can you do it now? You know, the same way we could do it then. And she started off as a classical musician and ended up 
like kind of running Facebook Messenger. Um, and and the interesting thing that that came out of all this was, I think if you're not if you're not formally educated in something, if you're not given something that's one area that that you focus on and you become the domain expert in that area, I think it sets you up to be really adaptable. So so because you haven't got a specialization or any any preconceived notion, when a new task comes along, the fact that you don't know how to do it is fine because you know you've not been specifically trained to do anything so so it makes you very it makes you very flexible in how you approach things but it also for me it also makes it feel like things are, are maybe even a little bit easier to achieve because I, I'll, I'll see something where i've got no experience of it and think well yeah okay i don't know how to do it but but i know how to find out how to do it i know how to self-educate around it you know quite often i'll be asked to do presentations where I'm just not a subject matter expert in that area. But the benefit is that presentation might be two weeks out or three weeks out. And I get the luxury of saying, well, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to learn everything I can about this subject. I'm going to watch the videos. I'm going to read the white papers. I'm going to see if there's people who will communicate direct with me. And and it means that you, maybe because you've never learned formally, it means that you constantly want to learn. Uh, and I think that that makes you have maybe a different attitude on some level, but but that that's the thing that's kind of stood me up the most. It's that that desire to learn and that interest to learn, but but not feeling that you're you're bound by any constraints around how you learn. That's really profound. And if there's a wider market listening to this video, I just ask you to consider the kinds of things that Dave has done for ServiceNow, and consider what you might be missing out on with these hard degree requirements at the base level of your HR. And, you know, it's to your own detriment. What does it gain you versus what could you gain from widening that outlook a little bit more? And, and, and that's, I mean, there's a bigger, bigger discussion around that, to be honest, Rob, but that's, that's one of the things that I think perhaps, perhaps from a society perspective, we miss now that, that you, you can look at certain countries. Uh, I think Japan's one, Israel's one, it might be Canada is the other where um, more than 50% of the population between 25 and 65 have got degrees. So I think it's like 55 or 56%. So then you come to the point where having a degree is, is the norm, whereas it used to be used as a, a separation. And I think what we, what we might have missed a little bit, and, and companies are starting to, to go back and look at this again, is when you do internships, when you bring people on and, and look if they're going to be the best fit for your company, Maybe, maybe widening the scope so it's not just looking at people who've got degrees gets you somewhere. Because I, I, I ended up in my first job in IT because of an aptitude test. So I was tested to see whether I'd be good at operating a mainframe. Um, and, and there wasn't a degree for that. So, so that was the only way they could do it. But I, I think the fact we don't use aptitude anymore is is kind of a miss you know maybe 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 people should start looking at having more of a mix of what they do when they look at intern programs or, or look at how they actually recruit people but that's just a society thing yeah i i fully agree uh and then some uh maybe another podcast on that someday yeah that'd be cool all right, Dave, we are approaching time so i'm wondering if uh if there's any advice you could give to the titans audience let me start off with a story and then and then kind of talk to to whereabouts I think people could go. <clears throat> so 
So people will often ask me, and you were talking before about, about qualifications and, and how you get jobs and stuff. People, people often say, did, did you ever go in with a vision of what you wanted to do? Did you ever, did you ever arrive at a company and go, this is what I want to be? And, and it, it was interesting for me. So I've never really thought that before. And then I was at, um, and I'm going to go back to Peregrine again. I was at uh, an event in 1999 at uh, the Peregrine was holding. They, they use a conference used to be called Synergy. And I was at Synergy 1999 in the San Diego Convention Center. And, uh, and I watched Fred do a keynote. So Fred Luddy's on stage and he's doing like the, the kind of closing keynote for the events. And I stood there and I thought that that's what I want to do. I, I, I want to be the person that gets to, to talk about what they think is going to happen. That gets to understand what's going to happen next. I would love to be that. But I also knew at the back of my mind, I wasn't a, I wasn't a programmer. So, so I couldn't do what Fred did. I couldn't write code. So so, so in my mind at that point, I was like, well, maybe this is, maybe it's beyond me. I mean, yeah, I'd like to do that, but you know, I'd, I'd like to be a, a Hollywood actor, but you know, just, just wanting to do something doesn't mean you're going to do it. And then through circumstance and through evolution and through, through different jobs and different experiences, I, I end up in whatever year it was, 2014, doing a knowledge keynote where I'm doing it with Fred. So if I'd have gone back 15 years to look at someone who inspired me to want to do something, did I ever think I'd get to the point where I'd be doing it with them, with that exact person? I, I never imagined that in, in my entire lifetime. And now kind of moving forward from that, I, I spend so much time where customers will come in and they'll say, Hey, can you just come in and speak to my engineering team? Or can you come in and speak to my company? Not, not just what about what ServiceNow does, but about what, what technology does, about where technology is going next, about what it could do for that company. And, and I've got no training about that. You know, I, it, it's just a, an interest I've had and, and people like listening to what you've got to say. So, so I think what, what I'd say to everyone who's listening is if, if you've got an interest and you've got a desire to do something, you should, you should follow it because the you, you don't need an inordinate amount of confidence to do something you don't need to be given it on a tray to be able to do it if you've got a passion for something and you're good at it then then eventually it'll come through so so stick with it excellent advice all right dave we are at time i want to thank you again for joining us on titans and welcome to the pantheon so good to have you here all right well thanks for the opportunity it was really good fun man do you want your message in front of the best ServiceNow admins, developers, architects, and product owners in the business? Want a conversation about your ServiceNow strategy and architecture? You can reach me via my website at www.theduke.digital. If you want to contribute to high-frequency, high-quality ServiceNow content, all you need to do is feed the algorithm with likes, shares, and comments. Thanks for watching.